0: You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures guest today is Adam McBain, Vice President of People at Bolt. Adam's career in people and culture spans 17 years and began initially in talent acquisition at Nokia. At Nokia, Adam discovered his true passion for human resources. He has held multiple roles throughout his career from talent acquisition to people leadership. Adam enjoys and prides himself on helping companies scale by leveraging culture and engagement to drive results. In his role as Vice President of People, he's leading Bolt's people operations, business partnership, employee experience and communication, talent acquisition and total compensation teams. Bolt is on a mission to democratize Bolt strengthens retailers' relationships with their customers by unlocking secure, logged in, lightning fast checkouts. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Adam discuss some of the best Bolt's people and culture strategies the four day work week and conscious pay, conscious culture website, playbook, and operating values, and engagement surveys and people team internal roadmap for assessing culture.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett, and today day from San Francisco. Adam McBain joins us. Adam, welcome. Hello, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to I love today's topics actually. I'm really excited to get into them. But but before we do, uh Adam, um I would like you to give us a snapshot of history, your path that got you from, you know, where you started to VP of people at Bolt. Sure, I'd love to. Yeah. So Bolt uh, is
2: located in San Francisco, California. It's where we're headquartered. Um, we've grown, you know, rapidly over the last several years. Um, you know, from 200 employees in the summer of 2021 to about 900 employees at wow. sort of our peak period um, in May of, of 2022. We've. We've, you know, like most companies, especially companies in the tech sector, we've had some um, ebbs and flows in terms of growth and company size, Um, but uh, sort of, you know, primed for focusing on the things that matter most for us right now, which is, you know, getting customers signed, getting customers live, driving revenue, and providing a one-click checkout experience to as many merchants as we can.
1: So I actually kind of want to start there, uh, Adam. I'm curious, you know, that that was tremendous growth. A lot of companies, especially in the tech center, it was like wham, right? Like they blew up. Knowing that, logically, you know, it's probably a fair assumption that to go back from three hundred fifty to nine hundred will be a slower scale this time. Would that be fair? Probably not. This buckle up, boom, blink, and there's nine hundred people. What did you learn? What What did you learn? Because it's interesting. You get to kind of go back to basics. Say, okay, what did we learn? That, that what got away from us culture-wise? Mm-hmm. Uh, and what did we learn that we'll implement a little differently as, this, as we think more thoughtfully, less reactively to this? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I think first and foremost is like so many companies who were growing the last year and a half or two years, right. Um, The market was honoring growth at all costs at the time, right? Investors were looking at companies who were growing and not so much, you know, sort of the economics or sort of the, you know, the the health of the business. Now, it's not to say our business was not healthy. It certainly is. But I, I think we were on the same ride that everybody else was on. And so having an opportunity, to your point, to kind of take a step back and say, like, look, how do we want to do this again when the time is right, is an opportunity that I don't think a lot of companies get right when you sort of reduce and then you get ready to grow again what we would do going forward is we would be much more intentional about the resourcing that we have in place relative to what we feel we need to achieve as a company Okay. And what do you by, mean by that yeah so you know i think there's a couple of areas one is i think planning differently for what future growth may look like in terms of one what we need to achieve as a company that's always going to be sort of first and foremost, but secondarily, what resources do you truly need in order to achieve that? And do you need one of those resources or do you need five of those resources, right? And really drilling into that and trying to understand what you need for long-term success at the company, right? I think that a lot of companies, and, and I think that Bolt probably did this, you know, admittedly a year and a half ago, is we said, look, we think we need to build something and we probably need 15 or 20 people to build it. We should be taking a pause next time we're ready to grow and scale and say, if we think we need 15, can we actually do it with five or six? And what would be the implications of doing that, right? Uh, what would be sort of the, the stress on the teams to deliver if there's only five or six? But also, what would be the business impact or outcomes if there's only five or six? And asking those hard questions on the front end, as opposed to after the fact.
1: It's it's interesting, because I look, I, I think of the same thing, you know, there's there's it's tough. There, this isn't a two plus two equals four. But when you build a business, the reactive thing is okay. I, Ron, love it. I'm in the accounting department or sales department. I'm overwhelmed. Add a body. Add a body. Add a body. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we do. And and that you're right. Um, that doesn't challenge it's, it's difficult. It, I don't want to call it the lazy way. That's probably tough language, but it, it doesn't challenge how we do business. It doesn't challenge the technology we use, right? Right, right. Well, and it
2: doesn't force you to prioritize, right? So something that we practice at Bold is ruthless prioritization. Is it going to move the needle and have impact on the business? If the answer is yes, then we want to then ask, well, how much? Right? And why? So if we can do the same thing with seven people and have that same impact, we should do it versus doing it with 15 people just for the right. sake of more people, right? Mm-hmm.
1: What, any other low bearing fruit that
2: you learned? Well, Look, I, I mean, I think what we learned certainly is that scaling at that pace is really tough on culture, right? Um, you, you always, I think the dream is to maintain the culture that you had, the connectedness that you had at a 200 person company, whether you're 200 people or 2000 people. And so there's lessons there in how do you engage the employees in the right way, whether you're 200 or 2000, how do you communicate effectively? Um, How do you make sure you keep a good pulse on how employees are feeling, what's important to them, how they're receiving information? Um, So I think being more strategic on the front end to proactively address those things versus more reactive on the back end is, is probably one of our biggest lessons in that growth.
1: Have you guys, and I was just talking about this, I just was doing an interview for a financial institution here in Canada, and I was talking about when, you know, that that most companies, and I'm, I'm you know, generalizing here, don't uh, upgrade their values frequently enough. And so, you know, we go back and we say, oh, you know, Adam had a horrible customer experience and, and now it's consistent. Five people did. Let's change that. Let's change an admin process to plug into a vendor, blah, blah, blah but we don't do it with culture. We don't do it with the foundation of the business. So sometimes the world changes so quickly, business changes, but the foundation has been the same. And that that's sometimes you need a different foundation. Mm-hmm. With Bolt, have you guys done that? You know, I was I was talking about the two times that we we do it. We, you know, every six months we'll go back. And not only do we say, are we living the value? So that's more of a check-in look in the mirror, but there are two items that 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 really kick off and upgrade for us. I'm curious about you. One One of those items is, we had, uh, or we'll have uh, someone who hasn't worked out and they've exuded really negative behavior that we want to capture to protect the culture moving forward. The second is someone who's had incredible behavior that we need more of, that we want to mm-hmm. celebrate and upgrade our values to, to say that's the new waterline. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do? What are your thoughts? Yeah, we
2: very much do the same thing. I mean, I, I believe in our, our entire leadership team here at Bolt strongly believes that culture is something that you've got to nurture, right? Um, I think the moment you assume that your culture is strong and good and will withstand the test of growth or time or contribution and, or the opposite is the moment when the culture begins to disintegrate and break down. Right. And so it's really important to your point that you look at it. You look at it every six months, at least at a minimum, um, I think through a couple of different lenses. For us at Bolt, we have sort of two sets of of things that we look at. We have our operating values, and then we have our foundational principles. Okay. our operating values dictate the way that we interact with each other it's the way we make decisions it's how we hold each other accountable it's um it's sort of the way in which we show up for each other every single day and then we have our foundational principles which are kind of our overarching or maybe our north star set of principles that we want to aspire to right so for our operating values at bolt we take stock of these regularly whether it's through um you know open ask exec anything sessions where we bring the entire company together and we press into, hey, what's working for you right now? What questions do you have? What concerns do you have? All of that is in line with our operating values and how we want to push into that and make sure that we're, we're measuring that. But then we do engagement surveys as well. And the engagement surveys are actually bucketed against our operating values. So we can measure are the behaviors, are the actions and the experiences of our operating values resonating with our employees. And if we find that they're not or they're changing or there's a desire for something different then we action on that we action on that by bringing people together and talking about what is still relevant and maybe what needs to change and then if it doesn't need to change how can we change it how can we implement that um so that we are staying current um i think one of the biggest lessons kind of anchoring back to our growth right one of our biggest lessons was we can't waver on the importance of our um, operating values. They enable us to be successful. They enable us as well to remain connected to each other and to hold each other accountable. So uh, to answer your question, yes, absolutely. We measure these on a regular basis. Um, and you know, one of the exercises that we're actually launching into this year coming up is we want to examine whether those are
1: still right for our company or whether we need to adjust them. Mm, So that's part of your upgrade process. And and I'm curious on survey, do you do a deep survey and then like a check the pulse survey? Do you do both? We do do both. Yeah. Um, So we do
2: a much deeper survey in the fall of every year. It's, you know, maybe 40 or 50 questions, takes people 15 or 20 minutes to fill out. Um, And for the longest time, we just did the one every single year. And what we found is it's really difficult to action on those if you're doing them once a year, right? right? By the time you do the survey, close it out properly do readouts with groups of individuals with the entire company and get into sort of action planning, you know, by then your survey results could be two months old and so what do you right. do with it, right? So, yeah. so we use that as sort of a year over year measurement, but then we've just started also pulsing quarterly um, and those are smaller, you know, surveys, five or six questions and it allows us to really one measure the results from the, from the fall annual survey, but then to action on the things that are happening in real time.
1: Right. Yeah, interesting. We we just came out with our I'll call our most aggressive survey where we we really asked questions that that quite frankly I wouldn't have had the courage and just by looking Mm -hmm. in the mirror, knowing it would have been a a a big failure if I had have asked them, I would have known what the answers would have been two years ago, four years ago, six years ago as, as building businesses. But and especially during the pandemic, we've asked questions like working with Vita, which is my company, has been beneficial to my mental health to my physical health has allowed me time with my family you know I feel proud to tell others I work here like just very pointed questions and it was look it was amazing I, I think that uh we were very happy with the results and we did similar to what you're talking about it sounds like maybe the exact same thing we we treated our lowest score which actually out of this was a four out of five on mental health which we were still proud of but said let's let's treat it like a low score because that's where we can move the needle um what type of kind of Interesting, deeper questions is that yearly survey asking that that you're like, okay, that's that's different. That's really going to punch through the service. That's gonna, mm-hmm. surface. That's going to surface. Are you asking the questions that you're scared to ask? We are. Uh, you know, I'm actually really proud of the way that we
2: dive really deeply into the experiential element of of life here at Bolt through our surveys. Right? We want to know. You know, how are you able to use your time? Are you able to use your time in the way that it feels productive, or do you feel like you're randomized? much right. Um are you getting what you need from your manager specifically? And if you're not, what is it that you need to receive, right? Um we ask very pointed questions about leadership. You know, is leadership communicating with you in a way that is resonating? Do you understand why decisions are being made at the company? Um, you know, do you have the right work life balance? And if not, what would make it better? Um I think one of the things we're gonna get into a little later is bolt has a four day work week, right? And so we surveyed deeply on our four day work week as well, right? Are you able to use your fifth day, which is your off day, in the way that you want or do you feel obligated to work that day? Mm. Um so we try to is that go mandatory? And...
1: Sorry Adam is that
2: mandatory or is that mm. optional? So it's it's relatively optional. Um just like working on a Saturday is something that is optional, right? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, we very intentionally not put a ton of guardrails in place around the four-day work week because we no. want people to be able to use that in any way that they see fit. So if that means that you enjoy spending Friday morning working and answering emails and doing some maybe deep focus work without any interruption so that you can go into the rest of Friday and your weekend clear-minded, then that's how you should use it. You know, if you want to have the day completely off to go on a ski trip or out of town for the weekend, then you should do that too.
1: Uh, a few questions. Let's dive into the four-day work week because I find it interesting. Um, when was it implemented and what caused you to, to implement that?
2: Yeah. So we trialed the four day work week in September of 2021 and we trialed it for four months. So pre pandemic,
1: I I can't remember when the pandemic
2: No, just post pandemic. So kind of on the tail end of the pandemic there. Um, So we did it, we did a trial and um, it was really born out of a couple of things. One is um, we realized that in, in this work from home environment, there's really no, break between work and life, right? We blurred those lines in a pretty dramatic way in most cases. And so we found that employees were burning out, you know, they were working all the time, Uber connected. um, And we wanted to create some intentionality behind unplugging, right? So it started by taking a couple of summer Fridays off, right? That was kind of the the sort of the slow move into the four day work week. And that yielded great results. People enjoyed the time. They came back on Mondays refreshed, ready to get to work. We felt people were more productive during those weeks after a Friday off. So mo- they got more done the four than they did they the got. Five, they did, they did, yeah. And so we moved, um, you know, as soon as we had sort of that first sample of results come back in that said, look, people enjoy these Friday summers. Uh, we moved to trial the four day work week for the rest of the year. Mm. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, very nice. intentionally did not put guardrails in place right we said look you use that friday however you want to use it the key is we want to make sure that productivity and impact monday through thursday does not drop or diminish and we want to make sure that you're able to use that day however you want to use it so that when you do come back on monday you're ready to hit the ground running
1: right so sorry just a quick question did they have the autonomy it sounded like you said friday could i choose to take that on tuesday or not is it look it's friday Yeah. Yeah. We just do Fridays. Um, okay. The exception to that is since we're a customer
2: facing company as well, Mm -hmm. is that we've got a customer success team. And so we've had to be creative about that day. So some of that team will take Monday off versus Friday as an example, but, but no, we did company wide on Fridays as opposed to sort of more of a floating day.
1: What was the unexpected outcome of that good and bad? What was the kind of like this next piece of complexity that happened because of it? And, and, and so for the opportunity mm-hmm. side, what was the, oh, wow, this is really working quite well.
2: Well, so I'll actually maybe start with the unexpected outcome of this, which, um, which was that a lot of people have a really hard time taking Fridays off. Uh, you know, For most of our lives, we're used to working Monday through Friday. It's really ingrained in us. And so for yeah. folks to unplug and truly sort of enjoy that Friday as an off day, um, was a bit of a challenge, and that surprised us a little bit, right? So it was something that we had to really sort of encourage and lean into and, and sort of reinforce that, look, this is okay. We want everybody to do this. Um, and then I think on the sort of the more um, the more positive side of, of the experiment, at least, was that productivity, we thought, actually increased. People were more engaged Monday through Thursday than they had been prior when they were working five days in noticeable ways. Meetings were better, they were more efficient. We were talking about the right things as opposed to casting a really wide net in a meeting. We were super focused and like zeroed in on kind of priority, getting things done and moving on. Um, so it really forced us, I think, to be more efficient during those four days. And the output spoke for itself.
1: I, I'm envisioning this, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I, I feel like, and how long, you were 300-ish at the time? We, we were about 250 at the time okay. when, we, when we did the trial. I'm just assuming that there had to be a portion of employees at the time that just didn't subscribe to that. I, I think you said that. Look, they don't want to take Friday off. They're so used to it. But that would maybe – was it divisive? Did they judge others, say, like, look, I'm here by myself and get with it, and this is work, and what are we doing? Like, So,
2: so maybe privately they did a little bit, but right. it didn't show up when we did either you know group focus sessions to talk about how it's going or even mm-hmm. surveys on how it was going. Okay. The way that we sort of navigated that, though, and I think it's a really you know, valid concern, which is like, look, I'm on Monday through Friday. I wish my coworker was. Am I doing more work than they are? Right. Was that we laid some ground rules and we didn't give a lot of guidelines on how to use that day, but we did give ground rules for what you should expect and not expect on that Friday.
1: Right? Yeah. Throw, throw some out. Yeah. So if you're
2: so. online and working on Friday, great. Just like if you were online and working on a Saturday to catch up on things, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be expecting others to be available for meetings or Slack messages or mm-hmm. emails right that day. So you shouldn't expect folks to be engaged in the same way on a Friday that you are if you're if you're working. So you shouldn't be having meetings. You shouldn't be expecting, you know, you shouldn't be setting deadlines for Friday um you know even thursday end of day you shouldn't be setting a deadline for the next day you should you should mm-hmm. sort of plan accordingly and anticipate that people are going to be out so we tried to lay ground rules of expectations in terms of what would happen and what would not happen on those fridays and then we made it possible that if you know look you want to work on a friday because you feel better about your output you want to have a better weekend and then, then go ahead and do that but we tried to avoid it by setting some ground rules on the front end
1: that's interesting and i know we're going to touch on comp but i'm curious was it also utilized as and and i probably told myself a story here but because it was during the pandemic was it utilized to say hey we have to adjust comp otherwise we have to no no because you hired after that so maybe yeah Yeah. no we hired. it hey look the the
2: compensation element really had nothing to do with this this was really about us ensuring that folks had work-life balance and that we avoided any sort of burnout right Mm -hmm. um it's a progressive way of thinking about your business, right? Yep. I think you may have seen, but uh, in Europe, there's a group of about a hundred companies who participated in in a four day work week experiment and trial. And um, you know, I, I like to sort of toot our own horn a little bit and say, like, look, we we did the four day work week before any of them. Right. Um, but this group of about a hundred companies out of Europe did the did the four day work week trial for about a half a year, and. I believe ninety percent. I think it's a little over ninety percent of the companies who did the trial have decided to continue forth and make it a permanent fixture at their companies. Um, And they followed a similar model to what we did, which is we kept pay the same, uh kept our benefits and our incentives incentives the same. What we did though, which is different from before, is we don't measure based on whether you're online, you're available, you're in a meeting, or whatnot. Like we're measuring your impact as an individual. And results at the company
1: level. You know, it's funny. We um, I didn't, I didn't really toy around with the four day work week. What I um, what we did, we always had a limited vacation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were, which basically says we're results driven, right? But that wasn't. It's interesting. Uh, The concept behind a limited vacation was more so: if you need time off, take it. Not not go take nine months off that wasn't right. you know, and that wouldn't work and people haven't t- taken advantage but it was so there wouldn't be stress about a sick day or taking two hours to go to yoga or whatever it was and then similar to you um during the pandemic I noticed that including myself there was some burnout happening you know and mm-hmm. exactly what you said Adam there was no breaks there was no you know download of think about my day and then debrief the day on the drive home or transit home and especially with young kids, I mean, like a whole different ballgame. You work in the morning, you finish with your kids, you work at night, and you get up and do it over and over again. And so uh, we implemented what's called a life day. And it's once a month, pick it when you want, but you're off for that day. It's, it's similar-ish. I guess it would be mm-hmm. three, uh, you'd be adding three more days a month. But the life day was optional to the individual whenever you want to take it, shut your phone off not mandatory, but highly encouraged. I had to threaten, uh, Eric, if you're listening, I will kill you if you don't take one next week. Um, <laughs> and so highly recommended, right? Because we know it's a telltale sign. If you don't take it, something's up. You're not being, you you know, you're going to be, you're you're a little tighter, you know, you can just see uh, when they're not taking it. And so it's, it's interesting. So that was our version of the four hour work week. Yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, and you know, we have a lot of companies who have reached out to us to try to engage and understand how it worked for us, right? How do you approach a four day work week? And do you, do you do what we did where you just kind of go all in immediately and then you kind of figure out the things on the back end? Mm-hmm. Or are there strategies that you can implement so that you can kind of tiptoe your way into a four day work week? Right. And so what we share, and this is maybe what we would have done, you know, if we could do this all over again at some point is, you know, maybe start with a no meeting day first and foremost, right? And, and, you know, no meetings, no obligation to be sort of tied to your computer that day. Um, you know, do things simple, like avoid sending out company-wide messages or emails to folks on a Friday, just as a starting place, right? Um, move your deadlines, as I mentioned earlier, away from Fridays altogether, right? Sort of start carving out or start creating the habit of disconnection that day from the things that you typically otherwise would be deeply connected to or engaged to, and then see how performance goes, see how results are, uh, you know, sort of end up um, panning out. So there's things that you can do of that to point. kind of inch into it a little bit without going sort of full steam ahead. Well, it's Another,
1: funny. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Keep going.
2: I was going to say the other thing that I would say about this too, for, for companies that are listening is don't be afraid to change it. Right. I mean, we went into this whole experiment of the four day work week saying, look, if this doesn't work for us, we'll iterate on it or we'll change it, right? Like when, you know, the company certainly has the right to sort of do that and make sure that we're doing right by the company itself. But but this is an experiment. We should be open to experimenting with this and we should be open to changing it if it's not working for us. That means both right. for the company, but also for the employees. If the employees come to us and say, oh, man, 4-Day week is just not working for me the way that it used to, then then we'll change it. And companies should feel like they can do that as well.
1: Yeah. So front-loading the flexibility and front-loading yeah. the anxiety that might happen around it and that it's not going to be perfect. I, I love that. Um, really interesting. I was, I was, what I was going to say is I think back to when we implemented unlimited vacation and we started by like taking an afternoon off and draw straws. Like it was that version. It was way long. Yeah. It was 10 years ago, you know, 12 years ago. And it was very unorthodox concept that people yeah. couldn't get their head wrapped around um, and I remember debating with kind of that old guard mentality of, you know, so-and-so was on their computer and, and, or they, they logged off of the system at three o'clock on Friday. I'm like, well, do you need anything from them? Well, no. Well, did they have work that they didn't get done? Well, no. Well, why the F do you care? You know, like, well, what what's the problem? Talking yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> um, talk to me about conscious pay. And it sounds like in 2021, You did a conscious pay where you launched the same pay across North America. Again, bring me through thought process to get there. What was happening? Who was uncomfortable? What happened? And then walk me through the process. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've seen some other companies implement sort of, you know,
2: conscious pay or equal pay. Um, The way that Bolt thinks about this and sort of what was our driver here, first and foremost, was at the end of the day, we expect the same contribution and results and output from every one of our employees. So why should we be paying employees who are geographically in different areas, different wages, right? We wanted- Adam,
1: I just have to ask, is this same level? So if I'm a frontline customer person, I'm a frontline. So that, you know, you're not talking about the entire chart. chart exactly. Like one, yeah. Right? No, this is still job
2: based, right? So if you're, a, if you're a level three software engineer in San Francisco, you're getting the same wage as a level three software engineer in Ohio. That's Got, it. Got it. Got it. But we believe in rewarding everyone equally, and paying everyone equally for the same job. So my job is the same in California as it is in Ohio, as an example, right? So we wanted people to we wanted to sort of eliminate the inequity first and foremost that comes with gender paying inequities, right? right? But we took it a step further and we said role based inequities. We want to get rid of that as well. And so we moved to pay everyone in the U.S and canada highest market wages now that doesn't mean that we want to pay everyone the absolute most that we can pay right we still have some constructs and we still had to sort of manage um you know manage our sort of pay bands and pay structures in the appropriate way but what it means is that we want to pay everyone for the same role regardless of where they sit so in the united states and canada we pay everyone anchored to the san francisco and new york job markets. Mm-hmm. Um, In Canada, we pick the highest job market there, and we anchor our bands there. Likewise, in Europe, in Sweden, as an example, we'll anchor to Stockholm because that's the highest cost of labor and cost of living. And then we tear down from there, right? So based on your job, your level, um, you're paid to that band. Um, And it's something that we found really worked tremendously in terms of, um, you know, equal pay for equal work, as I mentioned. But also, when it came time for review for for pay cycle adjustments, it really took sort of the burden off of the manager to say, look, am am I incentivizing in the correct way without having to worry about geographic limitations or geographic sort of norms, right? Now, it's something that we, again, you know, you'll probably notice a theme with Bolt here we just launched into it right away <laughs> we, right, just we go. had <laughs> this idea and and just launched into it sort of a week later and and implemented it
1: worldwide did you go back to you know i always think i was i was googling the name dan price what he did you know he went to 70,000 for everybody yep. um you know he was early stages on on that strategy mm-hmm. i believe um mm-hmm. and so did you guys have to was there a big delta so i like what was the range it was like okay someone was at Sixty now made it had to jump up to ninety. Like, was what was the ranges that? Yeah, people were- yeah. It, it's a great question, right? And I think it's something that other
2: companies may think that it's cost prohibitive for them to be able to do. Right. Um, we had about a fifteen to twenty percent average delta between where folks' salaries were and where they needed to be under the new construct. Now, I think what played to our favor a little bit, if I'm being totally honest, is that our headquarter had been in San Francisco to begin with. And so we did have a majority, not a huge majority, but a majority of employees who are already in the San Francisco Bay Area paid to those structures. So So they were
1: paid. I just want to clarify, they were paid higher based on competition with tech and living expenses. Exactly. Yes. Spot on, spot on.
2: But we did have for the the remainder of employees who needed to be brought back up to those bands. There was an average about 15 to 20
1: percent pay increase for those individuals, each and every one of those individuals. And and did those in San Francisco say, Well, we should get a bump too. Johnny in Ohio's getting a bump. I want a bump, or not? it's was like, look, you're already at X and so uh- Yeah, look, I, and that
2: would have been I think a very fair and natural tendency to, for people to say, you know, hey, what about me? Right. But yeah, I think something really unique about Bolt um is that that individuals recognize contribution and they recognize that the person who maybe their colleague who is sitting in a different state and in a different geo is contributing just as much as they are. And it leveled the playing field in a way that was accepted pretty widely by folks who were already in those current
1: markets. So it sounds like you ran quickly, and then you might have said, okay, let's put some guidance you need to deliver on these deliverables to because now there's a little more pressure or not. No, absolutely, right? I mean, I think that anytime you're paying for
2: performance, you've got to then have an effective performance management process and, and, and way of measuring that performance, right? Right. So. We, we look at performance, um, both on the individual team and company level on a very consistent basis, right? And, and we're quick to take action if we feel like something is not right there. So, and that doesn't just mean, you know, action in the term, you know, in the sense of saying goodbye to people. It's, it's, we need to have quick, open, immediate dialogue on what we need to see and what our expectations are for performance at Bolt, um, so that we can correct things before they become problematic down the road. Right, so it it caused us. I think equal pay uh, for equal work caused us and was a forcing function for a better performance standard.
1: But it also must have. And and again, I'm just thinking objectively of the business. Boom, you scale up, and you're like, oh shit, we're twenty percent up on all these new roles. You must have had to hire a ton of those roles. It would have been tough to measure performance. You're scaling so quickly, like that mm-hmm. must have been crazy. It was, it absolutely was. And, and look, I'm not going to tell you that we
2: got it all right or that we're not still trying to figure out some of those things. I think that's kind of the beauty of, of our philosophy here at Bolt, which is move fast, try things, learn if they don't work out, um, and do it better next time. Right. And so I think it's something that we're constantly trying to, you know, ensure that, that we're, you know, evaluating the right way that we're getting, you know, the right return on the investment, whether that's in a product or a technology or a person.
1: Right. So it's an ongoing evolution. So I know uh, in the show notes, there was talk of a playbook and operating values in in the conscious culture website. Tell us more about that. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. So
2: conscious culture is our open source website that we invite other companies to uh, participate in, whether it's engagement in the content that we've thrown out there, or it's engagement in the way that we address culture here internally at Bolt, But if I were to summarize what conscious culture is and the intention of conscious culture, it's it's really bridging productivity with humanity. Um, it's not necessarily prescribing culture either here or at other companies, but it's inviting others to sort of consume our ideas about culture and apply them at their own companies in however way they want to.
1: So it's so kind of like, didn't Netflix have a version of this? They did. All that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So Netflix, Zappos had their culture book that they used yeah, to, to push yeah. out all that. Yeah. Very, very similar concepts and ideas. I think what makes Bolt a little bit unique in that sense, though, is that we actually engage the companies on an ongoing basis who want to be conscious culture participants.
1: Ah, sorry, sorry. So so this is like, you know, Vita, we just subscribed to it, B Corp this is your Mm -hmm. version of hey you want to collectively get involved with us so what's that look like so if if i join this thing today what's it look like
2: yeah so so there's there's content that you can take um and use in order to you know look repurpose it for for whatever makes the most sense for you at your company but beyond that as well we engage companies directly through either um, fireside chats forums um, we held a, a big meetup last year where we had about a hundred companies who were participating in conscious culture to come and share their experiences back of conscious culture with us. Um, and it's really sort of a community networking opportunity to share experiences, thought, idea. Um, and it's something that we, you know, it's fluid for us, right? I mean, we, we don't just pretend that we've got everything sort of figured out with our culture. We we engage other companies so that we can continue to learn. So we can implement that back at Bolt as well. Right. And I see you've got a very, very much open dialogue.
1: You've got a summit coming up uh, April 26, 27. So is that, is that organized by you? Is it kind of collectively done? What's that look like? So the summit actually was last year. Oh, okay. Sorry. 2022. Sorry. Yep. 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 Yeah. So the summit was last year,
2: the Bolt team organized that and we invited again, I think it was about a hundred companies that joined that summit. Um, and it was a it was a two day summit experience, all virtual, so people could attend wherever they were. And we shared, you know, how our operating um, values and our foundational principles are resonating or working with us today. We also invited other companies to tell us how they've implemented, maybe what they've changed, what they've discovered, and what they've learned.
1: Okay, interesting. Has this been th- th- like? Th- it's interesting when I look at this, and again, I think objectively of business. I love it. It does seem like a two way street, you know, but you know, especially this feels like a project to me that company goes up and then scales back down. It's like, who's doing this again? Like, who's looking after this thing? <laughs> is this, and then it's like, okay, right. It was Johnny, Timmy, Sarah, oopsie, Daisy, you know, like, is, yeah. has it been distractive, but just trying to keep this thing going? It's, it's got its own life. Well, it does have its own life, but, but, you know, I would actually
2: argue that I think that much like company culture, conscious culture as a platform is the responsibility of everyone who is employed at Bolt to keep alive and keep investing in and keep sort of bringing to the forefront, right? Um, But I will say that, I mean, I think that it's something that, you know, for Bolt, it's an opportunity for us to hold ourselves accountable internally for what we are putting out there in the ether externally, right? Um, And so to that end, you know, it's not a distraction, but it's a way
1: for us to sort of keep ourselves true to what we're trying to do uh, here at Bolt. Yeah, well, good for you guys to have that, uh, to take the initiative to get people bought into and to collaborate around the idea of of being good corporate citizens that mm. treat people really well and build culture. Good for you. Well, mm. happy to join. I was going to join. Then it said, put your visa number in. It's 1.6 million for the year. I can't. I'm not doing it. No, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> You've been hacked. No, I'll give you a discount code. How's that? <laughs> no, it's great. Love to get involved with that. That sounds wonderful. Um. Let's chat about a CEO change. Uh, you mentioned that pre-podcast. How did that impact the culture? I was just talking to someone yesterday, and um, you know, I've I've seen a few times, and and I'm I, I don't think Bolt's in this category, but I'm just talking about the leadership and how leadership some in some cases view culture. I've seen CEOs that think culture is fluffy. It's 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 unicorns and and uh, you know BS. And 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 eventually they buy into it, but not themselves and say, okay, fine, hire a consultant. Let's get this thing going. And it just doesn't stick because the founder either didn't completely get out of the way or um, didn't buy in fully. Um, but I'm, I'm, I don't believe that Bolt was in those categories. But tell me about transition and what that looked like and how, and how culturally, where did the new CEO come from internally, externally? And how did you make sure the culture was in line?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, so it's a great question.
1: And I've observed
2: a lot of what you've talked about at prior companies as well. And it's a very real thing that you have to be sort of mindful of, right? I think to Bolt's advantage, the CEO, uh, our our new CEO, Maju, um, was also our chief technology officer and our chief operating officer. So um, Ryan Breslow, our founder had been the CEO, Um, he ended up stepping down uh, or stepping up into a, a chairman of the board role. In February of 2022, and Maju took over the reins as our CEO. The advantage that we had in that succession was that Maju had been at the forefront of a lot of the decision making and philosophy behind our culture, its intentionality, four day work week, global pay or conscious pay, as we've talked about. So it was very near and dear to his heart, which made the transition in a lot of ways much more seamless, right? So, kind of a, a blessing, really. Yeah. Now, at the end of the day, they're very different people. Um, you know, Ryan Breslow was very sort of, you know, flamboyant, outgoing, full of energy, just sort of this, this pizzazz machine, I would say. Right. And just kind of electric, like everyone was just drawn to him. Maju is very business minded, very sort of like execution focus. Um, and so just a very different, they were complementary pieces to each other. And so, What we had to start thinking about when Maju took over as CEO is how do we pull some of what Ryan Breslow gave Bolt out and have that resonate and have that come across with Maju as well, but still leveraging what makes Maju great, right? Why was he made the CEO? It's because he can drive execution, he can drive business outcomes, he's got a great business mind for the future of one-click checkout and one click and and bolt in, in general, right? So how do we blend those two things in a way that is authentic and organic for Maju so that he doesn't come across as being sort of, you know, an imposter in that sense, right? Right. So um, so leg up, certainly, because he was already here and we didn't have to sort of introduce who Bolt is and what Bolt is and all of that. So the belief system in sort of what makes Bolt go and what makes Bolt tick was already there, which is great. Right. Where I think that we've spent a lot of time, and, and Maju would say the same thing as well, is really articulating what success at Bolt looks like on a go-forward basis through his eyes, right? So, there's some things that we did, like very tactically speaking, that I think really moved the needle and gave people access to him in a way that they'd not had access at the CEO level before. And a couple of those things are, and these seem, you know, this is not rocket science by any means, right? But it's about sort of consistency and availability. So, we introduced what we called AMAs Ask Maju Anything sessions. The entire company came together, they were separate from our town halls or our all hand meetings. Um, and no question was off the table. We spent an hour, hour and a half, just asking as many questions as we want about any topic, and Maju answered them directly, just
1: virtually, like this. Oh yeah, kind of town yep. hall-ish. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, over Zoom, town hallish, um, and it really allowed people to get a good understanding of one, Maju's vision for the company, but two, kind of what makes him tick, what concerns him, what keeps him up at night, and gave a level of access to him that I don't think we'd previously had at that level before. Right um then beyond that and then again this is this is a little bit tactical but it really moved the needle for us is we formed subgroups of leadership at the company so decisions were made at the executive leadership level right um but then we formed what we call the bolt leadership team as well and that's sort of our next level or future leaders at bolt and that was you know a group of individuals either by, by job level or title but also by responsibility an area of responsibility so functional area And we cascade information from the executive level down to that Bolt leadership team level to get their thoughts, their ideas, their buy-in as well. And then we have an additional level, which is sort of our management level, and all communications and decisions get cascaded down each of those levels until ultimately they reach the broader employee base. So continuing that sort of communication cascade from Maju on down to each of the levels allowed all of us to feel like we had sort of um, you know, buy in on, on sort of why decisions were being made um, directionally why decisions were being made as well and it really enabled i think people to understand kind of where we're going as a company
1: yeah that, that's really interesting mm-hmm. T- tell me i'm curious how bolt deals with titles uh in what sense you know um people do 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 all people that at the same level have the exact same title what if someone comes in are they negotiating their new title just what's your viewpoint how do you deal with titles generally
2: yeah it's you know i i think we try to be as uniform with our titles as we possibly can be um i would even sort of venture to say that we care less about title and more about impact right Right. so um some people can have big titles um and no impact and that's not going to move the needle for us at all right Mm. so um you know i guess i would answer that by saying if someone feels really strongly about something and it enables them to feel good about the work they're doing the job that they're in and they're driving impact then we're all for letting them have that that title to a degree
1: yeah it's interesting this is just something that we've been dealing with we kind of went down that road where it was important to the person but we hadn't been thoughtful enough about answering the questions are they making the impact in those things because We started tossing out titles and then it really disrupted other people that were like, Oh, why did Adam get that title? You know, and that that didn't work well for us. We had to kind of go back to the drawing board and still thinking about that today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you a little story about titles and um, maybe the the opposite of what we've been talking about is our engineering team had a variety of different titles, and it was really difficult to tell who was at what level um, in our engineering organization. And so there was a big push about a year ago for us to standardize titles. So software engineer, software engineer one, software engineer two, as an example. So innately in your job title was also your job level, right? And that helped our engineers understand just sort of a baseline. Like who do I, if I'm a software engineer, so relatively, you know, early in my career and I'm beginning, and I and I want to learn from someone more senior for me, who do I go to, and how do I know who that person is? Aside from you know maybe I can go to my manager and they can direct me to the right person, but. If I want to cross-pollinate across different teams, yeah. how do I know who I can go to, right? So there was sort of this organic insertion of, um, you know, mentorship and learning and desire to improve that you find if you standardize your levels a little bit.
1: Yeah, interesting. I like that. Uh, and what else, what else haven't we talked about that you're thinking about working on? You know, what's what's something that's kind of new, the big challenge for you? Uh, what's going on at Bolt that we haven't talked yeah.
2: about? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think um, this year coming up is a year um, where I think that what we've seen in the past last couple of years, you know, we've seen a lot of resignations across the board at all of the different companies, Um, you know, that we've also seen a lot of reductions in force at, at many, many companies, right? Kind of as a response to the economic environment. So top of mind for me this year as a result of all of those changes happening around us is increasing employee engagement and retention. Right, Um, really outlining what the opportunity is here at bolt for an employee to stay contribute grow their career and be part of something that i think can be pretty tremendous in terms of the product that we're offering and so my whole world right now is sort of centered around that engagement and retention
1: um uh, area i love it and actually just before we finish a question about bolt is, Bolt, is it just? Is it for checkout when it's monetary or could it be like to fill out a customer, get you on a customer integration quickly too? Or what, what applications is it used towards?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's mostly for the monetary checkout right. experience. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Got it. Adam, look, yeah. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. I've got a page full of notes of things that we need to think more about. And you've got me, you've got the wheels turning on a few things. So thank you so much. Thanks for being a guest and thanks for dropping by. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great.
0: For more information about Adam, please follow him on LinkedIn. To learn more about our books or our Scaling Culture Masterclass on how to build and sustain a resilient, high-performing team, please go to scalingculture.org. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a comment and share the podcast with one of your friends or colleagues. We'll be back soon with another incredible guest.